Before we uh, begin to talk to you this morning about the second part of our journey, which is our journey into community, we've just finished a three-week series on our journey into the gospel, and now we're going to talk about our journey into community, and then we're going to talk about our journey into service. These are our three values here at Midtown, uh, gospel, community, and service. They're very simple, and yet they're very profound. And it's definitely something that we would like all of us to be able to gather around, put our hands by this fire and say, this is kind of what we're about. Uh, I wanted to make sure that you knew that as we, we talk about community, uh, we, uh, many of you, well, the other dream when I was talking with you at the beginning about everyone participating, we actually have a dream. And part of our dream is to get everybody that comes to our fellowship involved in a small group. And, uh, in light of that, we um, are going to be, we are actually launching a, what's called a life group, which is for all of those of you that are interested in some kind of a group uh, to be involved in. Randy and Jenny Miller in the back. Will you raise your hand, Randy and Jenny? There they are. There's Randy. There's Jenny. There's phenomenal people. They're my age. And uh, I love them. And uh, they're going to be launching our life group in a, in a couple of weeks. If you are interested in being involved in that group, you need to come up and talk to either me or Randy and Jenny. And uh, they will get your email, and we will be announcing exactly what that date will be. But that's going to be taking place. Uh, Chad and Carly Fair are also uh, starting another group that's called an affinity group that is really a group of people that have gathered around and said, we want to kind of really begin to understand the gospel. And so they're working through a, a series called um, Gospel Transformation. Those are a few of our new groups that are uh, going to be kicking off. Some of you that are here uh, possibly are interested in leadership, in the leading of groups. We are interested in probably by next September launching another Oh, I don't know, three, four, five groups in our community and in our surrounding community. If you're interested in that, please come and talk with me. Would love to talk with you about that. But we actually believe that that dream is very possible. And um, it really works into what we're talking about today because I guess what I would ask you is, what is the church? What is it really? In our day and age, um, some, a lot of people think that the church is a steeple, a building with a steeple on it. And I guess I would ask you, is that the church? Or I would maybe ask you this, what's the distinction between that and God calling a people out of, in, in, in the scriptures, he's calling a people to himself. There's this idea that now we are the church. We, you've, you've heard us talk about that before. We are the church, not necessarily the building on the corner with the steeple is the church. Is that true? Do you think that's true? Do you agree with that statement that we are the church, the people are the church, but not the church, the, not the church building? Do you agree with that statement? Why is that distinction important? Help me. Okay. A building is not going to give you the foundations. Okay. All right. Somebody else. You're not going to be able to bring everyone who needs to be impacted into here nearly as easy as you can go out there and go where they are. Yes. The extension of the church. Yes, sir. Uh, a building doesn't have a soul. Building doesn't have a soul. Okay. Any English majors? Majors in here? Raise your hands. English majors. Yeah. You're not hearing back there? 
That is so awesome of you to say that. I love that. That's just bold and good. The question was this. What is the importance of the distinction between many people think of the church as being a building with a steeple on it? And other people say, no, we are the church. The people are the church. God's people are the church. Okay, and we talk a lot about that, and it's two really different camps. We talk about the, this concept of if we are the church, yes, then it, the church is an extension. It's not a building at all. It's just a place, actually. It's a building where people gather. But then there's other people, and I think in our Western culture, we have, would tend to believe, well, this is the church. I go to church. They think of that, right? They think, I go to church. I, I go to that place, and I, I do church. So the, the question was, what's, why is that distinction so important? And there's many reasons why that distinction is important, some of which we've already raised up. But if we see that church is nothing more than just a building that we come and we gather in and we sing a few songs and we hear some guy talk about a few things in the Bible, I think that's kind of the antithesis or the opposite of what you see in the Scriptures. Yes, sir. Wow. One is rules and tradition, and the other is relationships. Good. Really good. Yes? I think there's also an issue of time going on here. The church is a building, and when you go to the building, you're part of the church. When you leave it, then you're not. But if the church is the people, then it's part of who you are. Hmm. Good, Jessica. Really good. This is from... Uh, for those of you that are English majors, you'll know this. This is from Daniel Defoe's book, Robinson Crusoe. I'm cast upon a horrible, desolate island, void of all hope of recovery. I am singled out and separated, as it were, from all the world to be miserable. I am divided from mankind, a solitaire, one banished from human society. I have no soul to speak to or relieve myself. If you think about it, that novel's pretty classic of our lives, many of us. The thing that we're going to talk about today as we talk about community is a pretty difficult thing to be able to dive into because in our Western culture, again, we are raised in a completely different way, we think different thoughts. We're raised to be rugged individuals. We're raised to think for ourselves and to make up our own mind. You have to be a success and you have to get good grades and you have to make a lot of money and you have to buy nice things. So it's difficult, I think, many, for, many times for a lot of us, even if we've been raised in the church, to try to even get the concept of what community is from the biblical standpoint. Because many of us, even today, are like our friend in the novel. We do live on an island. If it were to really be true, I asked many of you last week, and, and it was kind of a disturbing response, how many people really know you in your life? 
How many people really know what you're dealing with, who you really are, the deepest part of your being? And the answers that many of you, there's many of you that said, not many. And that's because of many things. But one of the reasons that's because of is this Western world that we live in, we truly believe its message. Do you follow? We truly believe it. We think about it and we believe it. The way we live it is the way, is, is what we think in our minds is right. So the question comes up as we talk first today is the question comes up is why community? Why? Why would we even talk about it? Well, let me give you two today that are going to help you understand why community. And they really surround what the Lord has for us. And the first point is this. God has a plan. And his plan is interdependent relationships. And God reveals his plan in the scriptures. Now, remember, let me stop there and make sure you understand that's what you need to be doing as you go out from these, this building and think about you being the church and me too. We need to be going to the scriptures to see what God has to say about this. That's not just a thing that you do here. That's a thing that you are and the thing that I am. In Genesis 2.18, the Lord said, It is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. So obviously God begins even at the beginning of time to reveal his relational side. He says it is not good for us to be alone. And so he, the picture and the plan that he has is this interdependent picture. Man and wife. The church. In community. God's intention for Adam and Eve was that they would travel together through life. This convergent picture that he's giving, that they are traveling together, traveling together through life. Think about that image. Who are the people right now in your life that you're traveling together with? It's important that we begin to talk about this because I think many of us have some real interesting pseudo de facto definitions of community. What does it really mean to be in community? Does it mean that I'm going to have a few beers with my friends on Friday and Saturday nights and just kind of hang out and we watch a football game? Well, there's a piece of it that that's a good thing. Is that the ultimate thing is the question. Somebody in the back just shook his head and said, yeah, that's right. That is the ultimate thing. (laughs) The Trinity, though, when you look at the, the scriptures, you see all through the Bible, you see the interconnectedness of the community of the Trinity working together. Same substance, the Bible says, yet they have different roles. They're never acting alone. They are dependent on each other. The beauty of the gospel is as you witness Jesus Christ's life and you you witness his interaction with God all the time, I want to be doing what the Father has for me. So even the Trinity is in communion and community with each other. They're interdependent. But if we were to go back to the Genesis account, we see that man falls away from God's plan and he sins. We know that. And God puts in place his plan for redemption. And his plan for redemption is gathering a people for himself that would depend on him as they depend on each other. That's what God's plan is. It starts here, and let me read it to you in Exodus 4. You yourselves... This is uh, uh, God talking with uh, Moses. You yourselves 
have seen what I did to Egypt. Look what God says. Have seen what I did to Egypt. And how I carried you on eagle's wings and brought you to myself. You see that? God's carrying us on eagle's wings to bring him to himself. He has such a passion for our relationship with him that he's going to be the one that initiates the work. He's going to be the one that makes it happen. It's a beautiful, beautiful truth. I carried you on eagle's wings and brought you to myself. Verse 5. Now, if you obey me fully and keep my my covenant, then out of all nations you will be my treasured possession. Although the whole earth is mine, you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. Well, if we're going to be a kingdom of priests and a holy nation and a treasured possession, then obviously we're understanding that, that God's view is a lot more than beers on Friday night. Or a lot more than us hanging together. And I think it's, it's actually something that we really need to really step back and look at. Maybe more than we do. And then, obviously, if we move from the Old Testament, I'm kind of giving you a picture of the redemptive history there or of the community history of the Scriptures. When God starts with Adam and Eve, He talks with Abraham. Now He talks with Moses about this people. I'm going to lead you out of Egypt. I'm going to part the Red Sea, the Charlton Heston thing. Right? That whole deal. And then Jesus said, and then God says, and now I'm going to send you Jesus. And Jesus is our personification of God with skin on. It's a Lucado statement. It's a beautiful statement. And in Jesus, we find the hidden secrets of the Lord. We see now what, who God is. We see now a, a, an actual skin picture, person of God and what He has for us. That's the beauty of Jesus. He arrives on the scene. And He decides, think about this, He decides out of all the things He could possibly decide, to how he's going to impact the world. And on his mission to the cross, he decides that he's going to grab 12 ragamuffins. Right? And he's going to spend time with those men. And he travels with them. And he eats with them. And he prays with them. And he serves with them. And he sits at a fire at night with them. And there's so many conversations that we now aren't privy to that it will be great to hear about the conversations that took place between Peter and Jesus at 1130 at night about whatever it was in life. But Jesus decides to gather 12 people. Really should mark us. And yet in one of the strangest scenes and the most beautiful scenes in the life of Christ is in the Gospel of Matthew and Jesus in Gethsemane. Listen to this in verse 36. You want to talk about the need for interdependency. Jesus says this, Sit here while I go over there and pray. And he took Peter and the two sons of Zebedee along with him, and he began to be sorrowful and troubled. Let me stop. Jesus began to be sorrowful and troubled. Over what? Do you know? What would Jesus be sorrowful and troubled over? He was going to die. He knew he was going to the cross. But even Jesus began to be sorrow, sorrowful and troubled. Many of you sitting here today are probably sorrowful and troubled. 
you're in the right place. Then he said to them, my soul is overwhelmed to the point of death. And this is what I love about the whole scripture. Stay here and keep watch with me. So even Jesus, could it be true that God with skin on, the champion, the creator of the universe, looked at his buddies and said, stay here with me. Keep watch with me. If you ever want to find out a real simple version of what community is, that's what community is. Have you ever had that friend that's done that with you? Stay here and keep watch with me. Isn't it beautiful the way God's ministered to many of us in our sorrow and pain? The gifts that God's brought to us that would look at us and say, stay here and keep watch with me. That even Jesus said that. It's very gorgeous. Some of the friends I have that I know that I can go to in the midst of the pain and the struggle of dealing with my children or whatever the case may be, and they will stay there and keep watch. That's a lot different than beer on Friday night, isn't it? That's a whole nother level. That's God's dream. That's God's plan. He obviously had a plan because Jesus did it. <laughs> it should mark us. He has designed us to travel together, codependence on him and each other. One of the fascinating shows that I... I have uh, have you ever been with a channel changer and you, you, you go through the channels and you, you go, oh, and then you flip back, and you go, oh, I like that. But then you go, if any of you ever watched something that you go, oh, I don't want to watch that. And then you go, oh, I want to watch that. Back again. You go, wait, you know, it's just tough to go back and forth. And that for me is this show called Intervention. Have you seen this? It's a complete visual picture of the just the utter unraveling of people. You seen this? People that are addicted and have become so addicted that they are literally on the island. They are on the island of suffering and pain. And what happens is is that their family has to come gather around everybody together and do an intervention for them. They have to actually surprise the people, the ones that are addicted, even come into a room. They usually do it at a hotel room. And they say, come here, and they in some way trick them to come in. All the family's sitting there, and they read love letters to this person and basically say, we want you to now go to a clinic somewhere and, you know, get sober. I thought of that. And I thought of it in a couple ways. You know what's unbelievable about the gospel is that Jesus Christ came into the hotel room for us. Jesus Christ intervened in the middle of our addiction. In the middle of our pain, in the middle of our problems, and even now, my friend, young lady, even now with even the shame you feel about your past life, even now you need to know that you have a great intervener that Jesus Christ intervenes for you. He intervened on the cross and he continues to intervene for you 
every day. And it's because of that intervention that I can even have community. Right? It really is true. But let's make sure that as we talk about this concept of traveling together, as we talk about this concept of... Actually, I'm giving you a real picture here when you, when you, if you want to talk, use that illustration. If you want to talk about, I guess, the idea here is that it, could Jesus actually have... Is he, is he made us in his image as being codependent on each other and him? Have you ever thought about that? Is, the, is that really the only way we're ever going to be able to make it in this thing? As if we actually realize just how codependent we really are, but maybe many of us are dependent on the wrong things? Right? And this message of community is, as we look in the scriptures and as we, as we walk through the terrain of the scriptures and we, we find out what God's doing in community, we see that this message is very different than the, than the message of the world that we're living in. Because the message of the world is this rugged individualism. I even heard this last week in one of my appointments with somebody that somebody, their, somebody's girlfriend is, is just, has a hard time talking about really deep things in her life. She sees these things as being very private in her life. She sees even the Lord in her spiritual life as being very private. That was my that was my grandfather and grandmother's generation. Everything about their lives was just like this, private. There was not even one bit of you coming beyond the circle, this outward circle that was around me. It was just I'm going to do my thing, and you don't you don't. There's no business. You don't have any business asking me these questions. Follow? Are you like that? There's many of us that are still like that. There's, there's many of us that struggle in knowing how in the world could I come and share the shame of my sin or the shame of my struggle because that's something that's private. Now you see what I'm doing now? As I say that, I'm backing myself off and I've become Robinson Crusoe. I'm now the man on the island. And then we wonder why we're there. We fi- I finally had a brother who's sitting here in this room and he knows who he is who called me and another brother up this week and said, I just need some prayer. That brother, when he says, I need some prayer tonight, is saying a lot of things. He's saying that I don't want to live in secret anymore. He's saying that I don't want to be private anymore. He's saying that I want to step into community and I want the gospel to be ministered to me. That's the concept. Folks, let me just make sure that you understand. There's not, I can't find a theology of privatism in the scriptures. It's not there. So the question is, who knows you? Who knows your private secrets? So obviously God's plan is different than the way the world has given us their plan. God does have a community plan. And the community plan is for us to be interdependent with each other. Now let me finish by giving you the second point. The second point is this. God not only has a plan, God has a dream. And his dream is to impact the world. Did you know that? God's plan is for him to impact the world through you, through where you're at. If you're a minister, if you're a nurse, if you're a student, if you're in graduate school, if you're thinking about the next promotion, 
God's plan is for you to be the church, for him to impact the world through you. Yes, little old you. Not just me. It's us. We're all together in it. John 13, 34 and 35, a new command I give you. Listen, love one another as I have loved you. So you must love one another. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. So could it be that God's plan to impact the world is actually if we begin to love each other? Can we? Can we, church? What does that kind of love look like? It probably looks a lot different than the kind of love we're used to being raised in the church, doesn't it? It's a non-condemning love. It's a grace-filled love, and yet it has all the edges of truth in every part of it. But it means love, and Jesus, and I guess the point here is, wait a minute, are we actually believing that we could impact the world if people know that we love each other? Well, yes. Do you love each other, husband and wife? Do you love each other friend to friend? Do you believe the fact that if you do that, that you're going to impact, God's going to use that to impact the world? It's a pretty remarkable concept. We no longer see ourselves as people if we're going to be loving each other. We no longer see ourselves as people who are in a hopeless search for security and pleasure and power. Let me say that again. God's plan for us to impact the world is very different than the world that we're living in. And we've got to come to the place where we no longer see ourselves as people who are in a hopeless search for security, pleasure, and power. Young woman, let me speak to you. I've been speaking a lot to you today. (laughs) That's good. I always speak to the guys. So here's your day. Do you actually believe this? That there's this like unbelievable stud muffin of a guy out there. He rides a giant white horse. Some of the guys in the back are shaking. Yeah, that's right. We do, dude. That's right. We ride. That's right. That's right. I am a knight. You got a problem with that? Let's go. Okay. And he has this shining lightsaber. He's... uh, He's a man of the word. He's just like Luke Skywalker. And in his other hand, he holds the scriptures. And he comes riding into your life and he closes up the scriptures and suddenly out of his suit jacket comes 24 roses. Because he's an amazing romantic. So you have power on one hand, spiritual on one hand, oh my God, the and you got the roses. Oh my gosh, he's a hopeless romantic. It's exactly what I need. I'm going to bow down and say, this is it. This is the relationship finally that's coming to my life that's going to bring me the security that I've dreamed of and thought of and told other girls about at slumber parties. I've made such a stupid exaggeration of something that we all truly believe. 
If you're a man, what you believe is, well, if I work hard enough and I get enough money and I put enough money in the bank account, I got security, right? Because we're all about security. Security, let me make sure you understand. Security doesn't exist outside of the cross. Your only security, my only security in this life is the cross. It's it. It's such a hard thing for me to hear that, even say to myself. Because I'm right with you. I have a hard time not believing that money or relationships are not going to bring me the security that I want and that I need so badly. And so I find myself through the week running on that rat wheel all the time. There really is nothing more ugly in the world than Christians who are consumed with what we would call the big three, security, pleasure, and power. But what does the gospel say? As we just talked about, we see ourselves as people who now have a hope because of Jesus living inside of us. Our security, let me say it again, is found in Jesus. Our security is found in His work and in His life and in His death. Our pleasure is found in pleasing God. Our power is found in His strength. It all goes back to Jesus. It all continues to flow from Jesus. Listen to this quote. It's very interesting. Truth consists in the minds giving to things the importance they have in reality. Let me say that again. Truth consists in the minds giving to things the importance they actually have in reality. If that's true, then the desire for security and pleasure and power will be realistically assessed as straw. And the lordship of Jesus Christ pragmatically affirmed as the order of the really real. Did you get it? Here is what's real. Because of Jesus living inside me, I never go one-on-one in my relationships. All my relationships are mediated through him, even in community. I never think simply of what I'm going to do with you or to you or for you. I think of what we, Jesus and I, are going to do with you, to you, and for you. Likewise, I never think of what you are going to do with me, to me, and for me, but what what will be done by you and Jesus with, to me, and for me. I'm with Jesus. Jesus actually lives inside my body. I carry him. He carries me. I'm with Jesus. Let me finish off by giving you a a favorite quote from Bonhoeffer. Because Christian community is founded solely on Jesus Christ, it is a spiritual and not merely a human reality. In this, it differs absolutely from all other communities. This is really important that you get this because the wrap-up on this is that the distinction in God's dream here is for the spiritual community to look very different like probably 90% of us think it is. It's a spiritual community and the economy and that's this spiritual world is completely different. 
In this, it offers absolutely from, it differs absolutely from other communities. Christian brotherhood and sisterhood is not an ideal that we must realize. I love that. It is rather a reality created by God in Christ in which we may participate. The more clearly we learn to recognize that the ground and strength and promise of all our fellowship is in Jesus Christ alone, the more serenely shall we think of our fellowship and pray and hope for it. Isn't that great? A spiritual community. I want you to know something. That God really does have a dream of community for us as people. And I want to give you a message of hope today. And the message of hope is, is this isn't just an Acts 2 way back when thing. We need to be a people that are actually today saying, Lord, what is, what does it look like for me now in 2008 to experience that kind of community? What does it mean for me to walk off the island? What does it mean for me to actually incarnate you with some other people? What does it mean for me to actually get to know another human being at about 50 levels beneath the levels that I know anybody now? What does that mean? That's my encouragement. You're going to hear a lot from us about being involved in community. What about you? And I want you to know something. It really is a mess, you know. It's just kind of like my marriage. Shell and I just love each other in the mess of it all. You know, it's for those of you that are desiring the perfect, like the perfect community, you're finally going to find them, like kind of the night, you know, thing. You know, sword, Bible, roses. You know, just to let you know, none of us ride a horse. It, it, it looks more like, kind of like, it smells really good, like an outhouse, you know, or something. I mean, it's just really, really gritty and ugly, you know, because when you begin to know each other, it's stinky. You begin to find out, oh, what? You don't like your Oreos with frosting in between. You know, I mean, you're not a believer. Um, you know, it's amazing the expectations we, we can work through with each other. It's, it's amazing the crap we got to work. It's just, it's just crazy. But you know, you know what we need? We need some people who believe in the gospel enough to just be in the mess. And, uh, you know, just, all right, let's plow through it. Doing life together, traveling together. Think about that. Thank you, Lord, for another day that we can hear your scriptures. Lord, we, we just thank you that you even thought of us from the beginning of time. That you, that you called us. <laughs> that, that you, you did the work. That you led a people out of Egypt. That you, you caused a leader to go and lead those people out of Egypt. That you, you now, because of Christ, we are actually your treasured possession. We are a chosen people of royal priesthood. And just maybe, Lord, maybe we, there's a, there's a whole different way you want us to live this thing down here. My specific prayer this morning is for those who feel very alone this morning. I pray that your gospel ministered to them. I pray that the name of Christ was upheld today and it would be upheld beyond this room. Pray your peace on them in the midst of their suffering. We thank you. In your name, amen.